And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Do you want to thank R&B, R, R&B what? R&B Car Company. <clears throat> this is what happens, man. My, it's just, you know, can I get a week where I just settle in, dude? Is that possible, Josh? I just have like one week where I can just like settle in and just do the normal shows. <laughs> no, no, I have not been able to relax for the past month. And it's only getting busier and busier. I mean, they're good things. So don't get me wrong, but uh, you can tell it's wearing on me a little bit. R&B Car Company. Go to rbcarcompany.com. All right. Uh, we've got to talk about, I think, the most important issue of the day. Constitutional carry in the state of Indiana did finally pass. And a lot of you who are not really following it were surprised by that. I saw this on social media last night when I was posting about it. And I know that it happened in the middle of the night, and a lot of people were not aware of it until this morning. I published an article about it this morning, but we were talking about it on social media last night. And uh, one of the comments that I kept getting over and over and over again, I thought it was dead. Like, how did this happen? Uh, What we were telling you before, and I know that some of you didn't hear it, but what we were telling you before is that because the language for constitutional carry passed the House in in the Indiana House, okay, Uh, because that language had passed the House and then went to the Senate where it was killed off by Republicans, that language survives and can then be inserted into another bill. And that is exactly what they did. They inserted it into House Bill 1296, uh, which is a bill that, boy, had a lot of stuff, educational stuff, uh, social justice stuff, and a bunch of other things in there that you couldn't possibly get Democrats to vote against. <laughs> they, threw it, they threw it in there. Really a genius move. They threw it in there, and pretty much everybody was kind of forced to go along with it. With the exception of a few, we'll get to them here in a minute. Uh, so, well, I'm talking about Republicans, a few Republicans. So, uh, yeah, so it it passed. Constitutional carry is going to become the uh, the law of the land. Now, here's here's what happens now, because a couple of people are also confused about this. I do not believe that Governor Holcomb, the chinless, is going to sign this thing. And so for a lot of you, this is a big question that I got last night. Big question I got earlier today is, well, if Holcomb doesn't sign it, what happens to it? Well, he's there's basically three options, okay? Did you guys go over this on Michiana's Morning News today? For the morning audience, do you know? Okay. So there's three options. The bill goes to Governor Holcomb's desk. He can either veto the bill, in which case a simple majority will overturn his veto, okay? It'll override his veto, and then it becomes law. He can sign it and then effectively put his name onto something that he doesn't support, And for those of you who do not know, Governor Holcomb has publicly come out and said that he does not support constitutional carry. So when he runs for Senate, remember that. Remember all the COVID crap? Remember his statements here just a couple of weeks ago that he wants to keep getting his $40 million a month from the federal government, and that's why he wants to inject your kid with a vaccine? And then remember that he does not support the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution. And that's that's a reality, okay? You cannot be a Second Amendment supporter and not back constitutional carry because then you're not supporting the Constitution. And I know that there's some people who try and say that's hyperbolic. No, it isn't. If you need to ask permission to be able to carry something around that the Constitution gives you a complete and total right, well, the Constitution is given to you, explains it, a complete and total right for you to be able to do, that's not a right anymore. That's the point. Okay? The Second Amendment doesn't say you get to own a gun and keep it at your house and only at your house. That's not what it says. The right to keep and... What's the other What's the other uh, word there? Josh, do you mind me? What's the right to keep and what arms? That's right, bear arms. That's right, 
bare arms. Now, that's not for uh, the white beater tank tops for you folks out there, okay, in Osceola. That is the right to keep and bear arms, which means to bear arms. It, this is not hard. This is the English language. I, I get it. It's difficult, but this is not hard. So if you are opposed to constitutional carry, you are, in fact, opposed to a large chunk of the Second Amendment and the Second Amendment at large, period. Okay? And you can try and guilt trip like uh, Doug Carter did with the, uh, the uh, ISP. You can, you can do anything you can uh, with, with that where you're trying to guilt trip people. Oh, you don't support law enforcement this. You don't support law enforcement that. Look, the data has been out on constitutional carry in the 20, was it 22? Well, I guess it will be the 22nd state where constitutional carry will be legal. And got news for you. It doesn't jeopardize police officers' lives any more than any other state, period. That's just a reality. That's the fact right there. Okay? And law enforcement, you know, it's there's this internal battle in law enforcement. There has been for a long time with give us the, uh, the most tools that we can do to go ahead and, you know, catch criminals and things like that, including violating people's rights because that helps us do our job. And then there's the other ones who are constitutionalists. And I think you get an idea of where uh, Mr. Carter is on this this whole thing. But this is this was put in. They said the language survived the original bill just because it died in the Senate. The language still survived. The House is able to inject it into House Bill 1296. House Bill 1296 passed both houses. It is going to Governor Holcomb's desk. He can veto it. Simple override, simple majority vote overrides that veto. He can sign it, put his name to it, which he won't do because he doesn't support it. Or he can just sit there and do nothing. Go play golf. Go get on a phone call with Joe Biden like he did here this week. Do whatever he wants to do. And it will just become law in seven days. So there will be constitutional carry in the state of Indiana after many, many, many years of fighting for this. And there are a list of names here that many people would want to hear. Okay, So I'm just going to give you the names. There's nine Republicans who joined Democrats and they voted against this. In the Senate, Eric Bassler, Vanita Becker, Liz Brown, you Fort Wayne crowd, Ed Charbonnet, Michael Kreider, Susan Glick, Chip Perfect. I'm not going to lie, it's a good name. Chip Perfect's a cool name. Terrible vote. Good name. Greg Walker and Kyle Walker. The only Republican to vote against the bill in the House was Mike Aylesworth from District 11. So those are the people that you need to keep in mind. I I told you when I first came here, it's funny, I was giving a speech the other day. uh, We had Tony Kennedy in town. We're doing an education, not indoctrination event. And I I said, you know, does everybody remember when I first came to town and I told you this this is not a conservative red state? And I used to catch a lot of grief for that. People get it now. They start to understand that now. If you don't understand it, it's because you're one of the purple squishy types. You're not red. Okay? That's fine. Just don't be pretending to be red. You're allowed to be purple. That's okay. Just tell everybody who you are. Stop pretending to be a conservative or a Republican just to get elected and then completely abandon your constituency because they're so afraid of the other side getting in office that you just know you have a free ride from now on. So this is this is going to happen. And this, you asked me, this is the best story in the state right now. This is the most important story in the state right now. I know that a lot of people are focusing on energy prices. I know you got a bunch of, bunch of people who uh, went from 
being experts in any little thing to being uh, epidemiologists and infectious disease experts during COVID, immediately swapped their online degree for, we're talking about this with a buddy today, immediately swapped their online degree for foreign policy experts and experts on the Ukraine and experts on on Russian relations, and, and they're also swapping them in and out, and now they're becoming energy experts and everything else. It, it, it's If you don't understand what's going on, guys, just relax. It's okay to ask questions. You don't need to formulate an opinion on something you don't understand. You can ask a question. And unfortunately, a lot of people are just choosing not to ask questions, just choosing to bloviate their opinion, and their opinion has it lacks historical context. It lacks understanding. It just lacks a bunch of reasoning that needs to be injected in all of these conversations. I did a basic math problem today. I know. I, I, I know. I know. Math is subjective. The answer of a math problem could be whatever you want. Liberals tell us that all the time. But I did a basic math pro- problem today where I gave you the average price of gas, if it were at $5 per gallon, okay, how much it would cost you per year, the average car payment, the average, uh, at, you know, I gave you a very, very, very good payment on an electric vehicle uh, for the Mustang Mach-E. And, and that's when the Mustang Mach-E even works. Now, for those of you who don't know, this is a has been an issue with the vehicle. And I'm not trying to trash Ford here in spite of the fact that they completely missed an opportunity to name it the Galaxy E, but I digress. Um, you realize that there was a software update bug with the Ford Mach-E's several months back? Did you hear about this, Josh, in the news department? There's a software update bug because you get your updates for your vehicle through a software update, like a Windows update. And guess what it did? Locked you out of your car. Couldn't drive it. It bricked your car for a couple of days. Doesn't that sound fun? Doesn't that, that, yeah, that's that's good. There's no way for you to get in the car otherwise and drive it otherwise. you got to have the, the stupid app or whatever to get into the thing. It's it just people. <laughs> it ain't going to save you no money. It ain't going to. I'm glad to see that Bongino is finally covering what I was covering with the, the barrel production per day. We've been talking about that all week. Uh, <laughs> Jen Saki is lying to all of you about the, the oil production, trying to say, oh, we're producing more oil now than under Trump. No, you're not. You're not even close. You aren't even close. You have reduced oil production every single year that Biden has been in the White House. You're ramping it up now, but only because you need to. That's the problem. I'm going to cover this a little bit more today, but I thought that the most important story for all of you out there in this audience, and I'm sorry for those of you on the Michigan side of the border, but for those of you in the Indiana audience, I, I think Indiana passing constitutional carries about the best darn thing could possibly happen right now in this state. we got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel today. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Don't forget, you can watch the live stream, rumble.com slash Casey, the host. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Also linked up the uh, the locals the locals page with that as well this morning if you want to go ahead and do that. Uh, I will address my appearance on Tucker Carlson last night in a little bit. On hold, coming up after the news break, the Michael Yawn. You've heard me talk about Michael Yawn for years. I haven't spoken to him in a long time. Uh, but he was embedded with the Freedom Convoy. We'll talk to him about that. Maybe squeeze out some tidbits about Ukraine if he has time. But he'll be coming up after the news break. 
So again, constitutional carry did pass in Indiana yesterday. The language had survived the original bill uh, that was passed in the House. The Senate killed it off. But because the language had passed the House, the House was able to insert it in a new bill. And this new bill was passed by both houses. It now goes to Governor Holcomb's desk where he will not sign it. He will just let it go ahead and become law after seven days because he does not support constitutional carry. And since he wants to run for Senate after his term is up as governor, he doesn't want to be on record as opposing it either. Um, but we do have some questions that, that kind of came through. And we had somebody that called Josh here just a minute ago. And I noticed that this obviously comes up every time we talk about constitutional carry. What about lifetime concealed carry uh, permit license? Excuse me, license. Because some of you get really mad when I say permit license holders. What about you? Well, you still have it. It doesn't go away, and you can still use that for reciprocity purposes. So you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Uh, people did ask about those who are coming into town and everything else. Look, if you can legally own and carry a gun, you could legally get a permit to carry a gun in Indiana. You will be legally allowed to carry without a license now. Okay. So if you don't meet those residency requirements and things like that, it will not apply to you. So you have to keep that in mind. Now, I know that that was one of the defenses that law enforcement was looking at as uh, potentially, I shouldn't say law enforcement, because a lot of sheriffs, the news media throughout the state and the national media that was covering the story never mentioned all of the sheriffs and sheriff's departments that testified on behalf of constitutional carry over the past several weeks. They only, only focused on the chief of the Indiana State Police Department, who is completely opposed to constitutional carry. That was the only person that they ever focused on, but they always pluralized that as multiple police associations, but they always ignored everybody else throughout the state that was in support of it. Uh, so, yeah, you're, you're going to obviously have to still be a law-abiding citizen to be able to carry, okay? So none of that really changes. If you have a lifetime carry license, this isn't going to affect you at all. But it will still obviously help you. A lot of people sought out Michigan and Indiana licenses for reciprocity purposes. Uh, you will still be able to use that for that purpose. The license does not go away. And that, it's, it's pretty much the same thing that happened when they made the license for free. Remember, they made that, uh, well, a version of the license for free. A lot of people were like, well, do I get a refund? No, you're not going to get a refund. There's no ex post facto here. Uh, but this is, this. you don't have to worry about being licensed to carry a firearm now. So there you go. It's it. After a long, long, prolonged fight and many, many years of Republicans and Democrats working together to kill it, it finally got done. And maybe if we have time at some point this week, I don't know that he's going to be able to. We'll have Guy Relford from the 2A Project back on and kind of go over uh, any nuances that might be a part of this. But you know, I did not see a lot of articles publishing that the governor doesn't have to sign this thing for it to become law. And that left a lot of confusion from what I saw last night when it passed as the articles are being written saying he can veto it or he can sign it. Well, he doesn't have to do either of those. Governor Holcomb, the chinless, can go ahead and just let this thing sunset and become law after seven days. Uh, but the, day, the term is seven days. It's not 30. It's not 60. It's not 90 days or anything like that. It is literally just seven days. So this is going to happen very, very quickly. And there you go. The laws finally change for the better in the great state of Indiana. And as with every single fear-mongering boogeyman case that we get when it comes to um, updating and modernizing Indiana's laws to be in line with the Constitution, as I, my time here for the past 15-some-odd years have been, you will find none of the boogeymen 
none of the scary monsters, none of the fear-mongering accusations that were used to fight against constitutional carry, none of them will come to fruition in the state, and you still won't get any apologies from any of the politicians who opposed it, nor will you get any apologies from the police chief of the Indiana State to police, uh, police uh, lying to you about any of that, because none of those problems exist in any of the other states where constitutional carry exists. So count yourselves lucky. You finally got it. All right, so obviously we've been giving you updates on the Freedom Convoy, but one of my favorite journalists, uh, Michael Yon, was embedded with the convoy, and we are going to talk with Michael Yon coming up in just a couple of minutes here on 95.3 MNC. MNC News Time is 3.31. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that will last a lifetime. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. You've heard me talk about his reporting for years on this program, whether you listened in the Las Vegas market, the Kansas City market, or here in Michiana. Michael Yon, combat correspondent, author, photographer, fantastic photographer. Michael, it's an honor to talk to you again, man. How are you doing? Great. It's great to come on. Thank you for having me. I'm watching the rain out here on I-75. I've been with the truckers for two weeks. Finally uh, left them about 48 hours ago to do some admin uh, because, you know, there's um, building a media truck actually to cover these things more, uh, you know, intensely. Okay. And, uh, but what a, what a, go ahead. I was going to say, no, I, that's, that's pretty cool because I was going to ask if you were going to skedaddle off to Ukraine or, or what you're going to be doing. Actually, I made a conscious decision not to go to Ukraine. Uh, I almost went. It was, it was a close call, but that, what I was concerned about was the war would break out. And I would get stuck there and not be able to get back here for more. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm an American, you know, through the core. And I'm very concerned about what's happening here at home, for instance, with supply chain. And uh, I've been warning about this for, you know, since January of 2020, for instance, to stock up on food and go heavily on that. And, uh, and I have specific reasons for that. Uh, I, by the way, I was in Lithuania last year, about, I don't know, eight months ago. And I was warning in writing and on interviews that something – was up with Russia. I didn't know exactly what it was, but you know, I was down in Morocco tracking uh, uh, migrants, and because I, you know, as a war correspondent, I track migration patterns. So I was down in Morocco and Greece and Colombia, Panama, Mexico, tracking migrant patterns, and uh, finally uh, called up somebody in Warsaw. Frontex is the name of the organization, and asked how it was going up there. Chuck Colton called them. We were together, and um, they said, "Well, Belarus." Is pumping migrants over the Lithuanian border. So I said, wow, we were in Morocco at the time. I called up, uh, I was with the Lithuanian army in Afghanistan, so I kept my contacts and I called up and I said, hey, what's going on up there? And they said, do you want to come up? And I said, okay, we're on the way. So 24 hours later, we landed in Vilnius and I spent three weeks there getting briefings, going full access to the camps. Uh, out with their army, border patrol, elected officials, whatnot, three weeks of that. So I had a, an idea of what was coming. Of course, nobody really knows, uh, but we could see that Russia was up to something, and as was Belarus. And so I warned about that extensively. But in the meantime, of course, we have a bigger play going on, something called Panther War, Pandemic Famine War. It's like the triangle of death. Throughout time, when you have uh, – you know, a big pandemic, although this was a more of a plandemic, but the effects were the similar. When you have a really big pandemic, you'll get famines and wars. If you get a really big war, you'll get 
you'll get famines and pandemics. And if you get big famines, you'll get the other two. If you get one, you get them off. Three musketeers. For instance, you know, the Arab Spring, how did that start? Famine, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So these things, uh, this is normal. And so in January of 2020, uh, you know, I'd been covering Hong Kong, the fighting there, and then they kicked me out. And I, I kept warning people that this, you know, this could be a serious deal depending on which direction the pandemic goes. And later we learned it's a pandemic. Uh, but th- th- again, the effects are the same. And right now we're seeing production breakdowns. We're seeing fuel costs and other inputs into agriculture just exploding. Uh, you know, Putin uh, mentioned last night that, you know, you can see, uh, you know, oil prices going up to $300 a barrel. What are they now today? I checked this morning when I woke up. They were over 120 uh, You know, the is is he right? I don't know. I asked a couple of people that know more about this than I do, and they said it's completely realistic that oil could go to three hundred dollars a barrel. Of course, that's a huge input for fertilizers uh, and uh, and everything else that deals with the supply chains and everything that lands on your table. So what we're seeing here is my estimation is that by the end of this year, there's going to be global famines in places that are at this point more or less difficult to predict. But the music is about to stop. You see with the invasion of Ukraine, and which, by the way, I was saying in writing before the invasion that I thought Russia really was going to do it and that they really were going to go for all of Ukraine. I was saying that in writing. Uh, you know, if you didn't put it in writing, it doesn't matter, so to speak, right? Or in sure. your case, saying it on air. You need to say it in advance to establish your credibility on you know, your track record. My track record, is, as you know, is quite good because I study like Rain Man seven days a week. And I go down range and I look, and, and you can see the the exports from Ukraine, one of the largest food producers in the world, as they've been stopped. Now, farmers will not be planting the way they normally do in Ukraine this year for obvious reasons, Russian tanks and firefights and that sort of thing. Not to mention, again, many of the farmers have just flooded out of Ukraine and they're in places like Poland right now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where I lived for two years, by the way. I'm very familiar with this area of the world i'm very familiar with it and so the the uh yeah this is gonna this is going to grow you see fertilizer when i was with the lithuanians last year they said clearly if russia does something or belarus does something serious we're going to cut off their trains right they're gonna and that means fertilizer well as we know russia has already uh almost stopped all fertilizer exports as has china meanwhile china has been telling their people for two years to stock up on food china has been uh, you know, shipping pork and other products out of the United States on a daily basis. They've been making a mega stockpile in China, and they've been telling their people to stockpile on a personal basis. I haven't heard one single state government in the United States say that Americans should stock up. Not anybody. It may, correct me if I'm wrong, has any state, much, and the federal government has done the opposite. They've said, you know, you shouldn't be stockpiling. You're going to be taking food from other people, which is completely ridiculous. We've had uh, open supply chains all the way up to this point. Of course, they're being increasingly damaged. That's why I just went with the truckers all the way from from uh, California. I flew out from Florida and went with them from uh, from California. Drove all the way across the country with them. Huge support on the sides of the road. I mean, you wouldn't believe it. We, we must have gone under a thousand bridges filled with people waving and on the sides of the road, mile after mile, you know, waving flags and 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 at the same time, I'm here not just to cover the trucker convoy. I'm, I'm very uh, sensitive to what's going on with the supply chain because if any part of this process breaks down, production, 
supply chain, uh, and, and, and anything else that gets in the way, violence that could stop supply chain, of course, we're going to end up with massive food shortages. And I don't mean Publix or Kroger has, you know, uh, one-third of their shelves are empty. I'm talking about the entire store empty, and it doesn't get refilled next week or next, or tomorrow, right? That's what we're looking at right now. We know midterms are coming up, uh, and we know that we saw what happened with the quote-unquote elections last time. Uh, by the way, I was there on January 6th. I did not go inside, but I was there, and I sensed a trap, so I did not go inside. Uh, but, you know, there's clear false flags. We've got a perfect situation brewing right now to just cancel the midterms. Why would they have them when they know that the last elections went, or if you want to call them elections, went exactly as planned, you know, stolen, right? And we're in a perfect situation where as soon as these shelves are empty, within 24 hours, there's going to be people looting everywhere, violence in the streets, Arab Spring. You know, these things are normal. I've read about 60 books on pandemic, six, zero, 40 before the pandemic, because I'm a war correspondent, pandemic, famine, war, these go together. As a war correspondent, if you want to go out and get shot at and, you know, go make a documentary in the hills of Afghanistan, that's fine. That's junior high school level war correspondent work. That's, you know, firefights, bombings, airstrikes, you know. Okay, it seems big and bad at the time, and it is because, you know, it's pretty serious. But there's a much bigger field to look at. Famine, pandemic, migrations, information war. As you know, information war is the highest form of warfare. It's the Ph.D. level. I've written three books on information war. Unfortunately, they're all in Japanese because I've been working for years to try to wake up the Japanese that they are on the menu for China. Uh, you know, I've gone all over China going to their museums and whatnot, looking at the hatred that they're building for Japanese to target Japanese. If you want to know what a country's intentions are, look at their information campaigns. Look at their, for instance, look at the, the social media, Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, you know, mentioning anything about the People's Convoy and bam, they're shut off, that sort of thing, right? Yep. Uh, you, look, you look at, if you go to the Nanjing Museum, for instance, there's a giant museum in Nanjing. It, I couldn't believe how big it was. It, it, the thing, to be directionally accurate, that thing probably cost $50 million, like five zero. It's like a Disney World type thing. And you, you walk through it all day, and it's all about creating hatred against Japanese. And I keep warning Japanese, they've got an information campaign going on right now in Okinawa, trying to split the Okinawans off, like, hey, speak your old dialect, putting the old dialect on ATM machines, bank machines, uh, you know, elevator buttons, old dialect that nobody really speaks anymore. And I was just over in Morocco with Chuck Holton, who's in Ukraine right now. We're driving down the road. Between Chuck and I, I've been to over 80 countries, right? I've spent more than half of my life outside of the United States. So more than 30 years, I've been outside of the United States, right? And so I've seen pretty much every written language that can be on a road sign. So we're driving down the road in Morocco. We're tracking migrant issues. And, and I see this new language on the road signs. It's not Arabic. It's not English, obviously. And I said, Chuck, what's this? Have you ever seen this language? What is this? It looks like Furby talk. Like, so I said, you know what? I bet that's information more because, you know, I study that, uh, you know, fastidiously. Uh, and, and sure enough, checked it out. It's a new written language that was invented from thin air. You know, the Berber class of languages, Berber is not a language, but it's a class of languages, sort of mm -hmm. like Latin, let's say. And they don't have a written language. So they, you know, the, the information warriors uh, decided to make a written Berber language and, uh, and start putting it on road signs and having it in government meetings and that sort of thing. And instead of using, so there was a big 
argument in advance, should this just be modified Arabic? Because everybody knows the Arabic alphabet. Why not just do it in modified Arabic? They said, no, we need our own written language, which they've never had before. And so now you see that written language all over the place. And I kept asking Moroccans, what does this say? And they're like, oh, nobody really reads this language. They're just forcing it on us for some reason. They did the same thing in Thailand where my office is, trying to split Thailand in three parts, trying to get their people to speak their local dialects. I spent a year up in Nepal with the Maoists, often with the Maoists and all out in the mountains. Again, trying to get everybody to speak their own languages. I was down in Colombia last year with a senator named Maria Cabal. She's a, a, a Colombian senator, and she's saying, Michael, why are they trying to get everybody to speak their own languages and dialects? Why are they trying to get them to fight each other? You know, And I said, well, Maria, they do this all over the world. This is a global information campaign, and they're trying to divide and conquer. They're telling people you shouldn't go to church, but the whiskey store is open. You know, they're trying exactly. to divide families apart. A great book on this, Casey, by the way, is Rape of the Mind. Rape of the Mind. I've heard, I've heard a lot of people recommend that. Hey, Michael, can I take a quick commercial break? I want to come back and wrap up with you about the, uh, the People's Convoy, too, and some of the experiences there. Um, because I, I, we need to do a long form on, on my podcast for this. We're going to just sit down and talk for a long time because you have a lot of information over your career. But if I can take a commercial break, if you can hold over, I would really appreciate that. And then we'll come back and we'll wrap up uh, with you and, and get some information about the People's Convoy and kind of your experience there and getting across the country and, and kind of the people who participated. Can we do that? I'll clear the slate for you and spend all day with you. That's great, it's man. I appreciate it. Right now. There you right. go. I'll be back in just a couple of minutes. <laughs> We got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Hey, good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Once again, Casey Hendrickson here joining us. Special guest Michael Yon, war correspondent, author, photographer. He's been embedded with the People's Convoy. And uh, as I've tried telling you all for years, I mean, I call him the Michael Yon for a reason, uh, just dropping a bunch of knowledge on you guys here in that first segment. Michael, again, thank you for the time. We will have to sit down and do a long form on the podcast or something where I can give you free reign to actually say what you want to say. Um, but tell us a little bit about the People's Convoy. I, I'm down really, really close, less than a minute. Uh, just kind of give the general overall experience of the People's Convoy for the audience. Hey, it's still ongoing. Uh, they're in Hagerstown, the camp at the Hagerstown Speedway in Hagerstown, Maryland. But they've been doing laps around the the, uh, the Beltway in Washington D.C. Two senators met with them two days ago. That would be uh, Ron Johnson and yeah. Senator Cruz met with them. Uh, yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that a little bit later, Mike. I hate to cut you off, man. I'm so sorry. I'm just on a hard okay. break, bud. I'll, I'll stay on. I'm gonna talk to you uh, in the uh, news break on the phone. Okay. Appreciate the time. Okay. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Try telling you, dude's a wealth of knowledge, man. And he is uh, he's the, probably the most experienced war correspondent in the world. And a lot of people picked up on him. A lot of people in the uh, the Discord server and the live stream have known about Michael Yawn since his days in, in the Iraq invasion and things like that. But, you know, th this is... This is a guy you, you pay attention to. He's seen a lot of these patterns and things like that. You know, is it possible that he could be wrong about some stuff? Of course, he's a human being. But 
Um, when you have the experience in areas of warfare and you see the same patterns, remember I told you one of the reasons that I'm able to make the predictions that I make that some of you are kind of like surprised by is that the pattern's the same. And he sees those patterns right now that he has seen in all of these war-torn countries that he's been to. And you heard he's been to over 80 countries. Um, he also referenced a, a buddy of his uh, who is over in Ukraine right now. And he's a great follow, too. He just rescued a 96-year-old uh, woman the other day and got her out of her apartment and into a, uh, a shelter before, uh, before curfew, like by the skin of his teeth, uh, Chuck Horton, fantastic YouTube channel. You should definitely check that out as well. I know that he does hits on Newsmax and, and other things, but just a really good correspondent who is in Ukraine right now if you're interested in that. But the wealth of experience that Michael Yawn has is part of the reason that I have always used his work on my show. Uh, and he sees those patterns right now, so probably worth paying attention to considering his experience dealing with all of that. All right, uh, we'll, we'll, get, we'll set something up where I can do a long-form interview with him, sit down for an hour or so, and actually let him present the, the knowledge that he has without the constraints of a commercial break uh, interrupting all of that. Uh, what else do we have here? So we, we did constitutional carry today. We had the Michael Yawn on the Michael Yawn. Uh, and I say that for various reasons. I will get into the Colbert thing, which is kind of tied to my Tucker Carlson appearance last night. We'll get into that. Um, but this is this is this weird, you know, sort of a misinformation war that you're just you're dealing with on a regular basis. I, I saw somebody on on Discord earlier today as we were posting it, and you know that I've kind of alluded to it as well, not just with uh, Russia, Ukraine, but in particular with Russia and Ukraine. You know, can you trust anything that you see now? on the news. And I would almost argue that you can't. If you don't have any definitive evidence of something, it's probably not wise to believe it just because everything is information warfare. And in the age, this is the great paradox, in the age of information, it has become harder to get good information, even though it's more readily available to us. And that's that's where, you know, disinformation and misinformation and all of your your egotistical friends who don't know about anything posting their opinions about it and regurgitating debunked lies and that sort of stuff. And it's just, you know, almost becomes information overload and it becomes static and then you're not informed at all in spite of the fact that you're supposed to be the most informed society ever because you've never had as much information and data at your fingertips as you have now. Um, to give you kind of an example of what I mean, okay? So the head of the CDC, before she was the head of the CDC, I don't know how many of you picked up on this this week. What did she admit? For those of you who know the story, what did she admit? She admitted that she got her information about COVID from CNN. Why would you get your information from CNN? You're the expert. CNN's supposed to be getting their information from you. Did you miss this story? Critics are incredulous today as the head of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, Rochelle Walensky, seemed to indicate in an interview over the weekend that she sets policy by watching reports on CNN. When the CNN feed came, came that it was 95% effective, the vaccine, so many of us wanted to be helpful, so many of us wanted to say, okay, this is our ticket out. She told a live stream that was posted on Twitter. Now, she was not the director of the CDC at the time, but don't you find it a little strange that the expert is watching 
see the CNN and getting information about vaccines and stuff like that from CNN instead of just getting it from normal scientific channels? Don't you find that a little strange? Maybe you don't, I guess. I don't know. I find it strange. You know, one of the reasons people have often, often asked me, like, when did I really start paying attention to the media? And my story starts with CNN. Operations that I was a part of in the military. We watched CNN get the entire thing wrong. And that's when I started to know. Because before then, it's like, oh, it's CNN. Whatever CNN says must be true because it's CNN. Right? This is in the 90s. And I'm sitting here, I'm looking around, the boys and I are going, none of that happened. Like, what? Like, this is, the entire report was wrong. Every single speck of data in that report about that operation was wrong. Everything. There was nothing accurate about it. And we're all looking at each other because we, we can't say anything. There's nothing we're allowed to do about it. We're just going, wow, okay. So I started paying attention to the media a little bit more and you realize, oh, they're wrong all the time. And like I said, sometimes it's nefarious when you have a conflict happening like Ukraine and Russia. There's going to be some nefarious actors there for various reasons on both sides. But most of the time, it's laziness. It's just they're going with the easiest story. And when I am sitting here reading an article and listening to an interview with Rochelle Walensky, where she was basically taking the lazy way out and relying on CNN reporting to dictate how she felt about various COVID policies, that should make everybody a little nervous. What do we know about the vaccine? The vaccine was never 95% effective. It wasn't 95% effective against the, the full, the feral free range viruses or the alpha variants. It was never that effective against Delta. It was never that effective against Omicron. It was never 95% effective. It never hit that. I told you how they got that number. It was a total lie. But CNN said it, and Rachel, Rochelle Walensky, excuse me, not Rachel, Rochelle Walensky is admitting to everybody that when she saw that, she was able, all right, this is our way out. We can run with this. But it was never true. And had she been the expert that she proclaims to be and is touted as and done her due diligence, she would have seen how they got to that 95%. She would have said, said to everybody who would listen, it's not 95% effective and here's why. But she didn't because she relied on the news media to give her data on a field that she's supposed to be the expert in. Are the reporters and the anchors and correspondents on CNN experts in this? No, none of them are. So why is she relying on people that are not experts? That's, this should scare you. I know it seems like it's a really small thing. Well, she wasn't director of the CDC at the time, whatever. She's watching CNN. She gets some information from it. Her first reaction should have been to verify what she saw. So if CNN comes out and says the vaccine's 95% effective, her first thing to do is to dive into the literature on it and see if that's the case. And she would have, as we all did, see that that was never the case. It was never 95% effective. We told you it wasn't 95% effective almost a year before it was officially released that it was never 95% effective. And that wasn't because I had a lucky guess. It's because the research was available. You just had to open it up and look at it. So she's admitting she didn't do that. That's politicians decide what policies they do based on the news and perceived polling and the perceived, although often incorrect, pulse of the nation. Your health officials are not supposed to be doing that. This is, that was a scary, 
scary moment for me. And as we we kind of alluded to, much of this, and Michael Yon pointed this out too, the, much of the pandemic was planned. Whether the release of the virus was an accident or intentional doesn't really matter. Much of what happened after that was planned. And a lot of that's tied to the Great Reset and everything else. But uh, Walensky also had met for uh, months with top Democrat media consultant Mandy Grunwald to improve her messaging, according to CNN. This is hard, and I am committed to continuing to improve as we learn more about the science and to communicate that with all of you, Walensky said amid discussions, excuse me, accusations that the CDC was changing the rules and at times putting politics above science, which is true. They did. I mean, that's that's a demonstrable fact. The CDC consistently did that. What I always found very interesting about Rochelle Walensky's time when she first got to the CDC is that she would often say very reasonable things. And then two to three hours later, the CDC would retract what she said and offer a, quote, clarification which said the exact opposite of what Rochelle Walensky said. How many times did we go through those updates? We're almost daily for a couple of weeks there. Well, Rochelle Walensky said this this morning, which means, you know, right before the show started, the CDC has retracted that and completely, you know, changed the, the narrative there. You got I, I don't know what else to tell you. You know, it's so bad now. It is becoming increasingly more difficult for people to figure, figure out what is and is not real. You know, I know that we've joked about idiocracy for well over a decade on this show being a documentary, but I'm telling you right now, we are a decade away from planting crops with Mountain Dew instead of water. I, that's how close we are to this. I, I honestly believe that. We are so close to screwing everything up. And if we are not actually on the precipice, we are approaching it. And people had better start to pay attention to this. But... People can't because they're just they're putting themselves in these tribes. And, you know, look, evil is evil, guys. It doesn't matter if it's your side or the other side or what have you. You know, you don't have like, like there's this ludicrous, ridiculous person uh, who posted on on my my Facebook page, I think, yesterday and also sent me an email. Like, I don't like this anti-war stuff. I'm a pro-war. It sounds like a troll. Sounds like they're a liberal trying to parody a conservative. I'm a pro-war uh, Reagan conservative. Like what? That doesn't make any sense. No, conservatism is. I mean, I choose to believe that that's just a liberal being a troll and trying to say something cute, but they're not that bright. I'm, I'm choosing to believe that. But what if, okay, let's entertain the thought for just a second that that is a real individual and that's really what they believe. So you're just pro-war for the sake of being pro-war? Don't you see that a large chunk of the left and the right in this country right now, while the left pretends that the right is all in Putin's camp, um, but the large chunk of the left and the right in this country right now are doing everything they can to, to get you into a war. Now, let me, let me ask you a question here, and this is a question you should ask yourself. You can feel for the, the plight of the Ukrainians, and, and there's nothing wrong with feeling for these people. There's nothing wrong with privateers volunteering to go over there and fight on their behalf. I completely support that. You need to ask yourself a question. What benefit is it to the United States to go to war in Ukraine against Russia? What's the benefit for our country to do that? Now, if you don't have an answer, because I can give you an answer for almost every other conflict. I can't give you one for this one.
I, I don't have an answer for you guys. So if you can't answer that question with some a definitive list of positives for this country to go to war with, with Russia, we ought to not be trying to go to war with Russia, don't you think? And I know that there's some people go, well, it's not about us, it's about the Ukrainians. Okay. But you don't know anything about that country's government and the things that that country's government has done. That's, that's not a lie. That's not propaganda. That's, that's from Russia. But the things they actually have done. It says nothing against their people. But there's very real issues on both sides of that border. And you've got, unfortunately, Americans just don't understand that story. They're not familiar enough with that area. They're not familiar enough with that region to understand it. But you have to ask yourself, what is the benefit to going to war with Russia right now? Because I can give you benefits for all of our recent conflicts. I, I can give you that, but I, I can't give you one for Russia, guys. If you have one, let me know. I'm happy to hear it. But they're using the information to try and get you into it. And that's the thing you gotta be, you got to be very, very careful of. You really have to be careful of it. If, if a war has to happen, a war has to happen. But for the love of God, at least make it for a good reason. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. All right, good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. We got people calling about a couple of different things, so we're just we're going to kind of take them as we're taking them because, what is it, Wednesday? Is it Wednesday? Because it's just Wednesday, and I'm just doing things randomly. Uh, Convoy John, welcome to the program. Uh, this is Dave. I did not pick the wrong one. I picked the one that you told me to pick. <laughs> jo- okay, well, Dave, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, thanks for taking my call. Steve. Sure. I appreciate that. So, so yeah, I mean, to your question on why would we go to war with Russia, I, I have two thoughts, and to your point, I don't know if they're worth it, and I don't know if they're good, but I have at least two reasons as to why. Okay. So the first being, if you're going to go to war, isn't it better to go to war there than here? Okay. And if you're going to maybe go to war and use Ukraine as a foil, and just keep pumping them full of ammunition and just keep them bogging Russia down. Maybe we're not in it directly, but it's we're costing them a lot of money. We're disrupting them. It's a whole thing. Like if we're in a war with Mexico, and you know Russia would just be giving all kinds of missiles and ammunition to Mexico, but they're not really in war with us. So See, that, that, that's, that's actually that's, what I think is going on. I think that Ukraine is being sacrificed here to mess with Russia. That's what I think is happening. I, I think we're giving them just enough. To keep them going, knowing full well that you know this this is damaging Russia, it's damaging yeah, Putin. Um, there's rumors that Putin's not healthy. We we don't know if that's true or not, but there's rumors that he's and there has been for a couple of years now. So you know it's I, I that's what I kind of think is happening. I think this is very much a Cold War proxy. So that's the first reason, and the second would be to uh, I'm tired of being a paper tiger to China. Yeah, and I think if we went in and just kicked ass for a minute and really kind of put them on notice, that might be a good way to do it. Okay, that's a that's a fair point. Put China on notice. All right, man, I can accept that. All right, appreciate it. Thank you much. Right, that's Look, I here's the thing. Um, the way that this is being handled is emboldened China. There's no doubt about that. 
There is zero doubt about that. And I know that we've all talked about that. All of you have mentioned it. I've mentioned it. We've all talked about that this entire time. Um, yeah, I think that that's fair, you know, but look, you go back to February. I always want to remind you of this. And I know that this is uh, Putin just reminding everybody that he has a big red button. But if you go back to February, Putin was telling everybody, look, I'm not under any illusions here. I'm paraphrasing. He goes, I know that NATO is more powerful, but I still have a modern nuclear force. And from his, his perspective, the way that he is phrasing this, like look i get it we can't compete with nato militarily but i still have a big red button so if i need to use it i'll use it and that's that's a deterrent by saying that you know so is and and this was i know that you acknowledge this point so is putting china on notice by engaging russia is putting china on notice by engaging russia worth the potential fallout figuratively and literally that could happen from a war with Russia. That becomes the question. Oh, and let's not forget, good chance China gets drawn into that war if we go to war with Russia too. Um, and then what's what's the end game? What's the strategy to, to get out of it? Do you just go to war and fight? Uh, is it to conquer Russia? Is it just to push them out of Ukraine? What is the what is the end game there? And that would have to be established. So good question though. All right, we got uh, more coming up. I'll take your phone calls. And I know that I think we got somebody who is with the Freedom Convoy that we're going to try and take as soon as we figure out which line that person is actually on josh we'll get we'll get that in a couple of minutes mnc news time is 4 32 time to check out impress jewelry creations creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that will last a lifetime and good afternoon thank you for tuning in news talk 95.3 michiana's news channel i am your host casey hendrickson want to thank r&b car company locations in south bend and warsaw R&B Car Company are your used car experts. All right, to the phone lines we go. Convoy John, what's up? Casey, hi. Hi Can there. I jump in real quick. Can I jump in real quick on Putin's war? Yeah, why not? Okay. The isolationism that prevailed in the United States prior to World War II com severely complicated how great and how large the war was when we finally had to get into it. It gave Mussolini, it gave Hitler, it gave Tojo breathing room to build their war machines when we all knew the war was coming. That point. Mm -hmm. The second point, if you really want to have a good understanding, and I could talk for an hour on this, and I, I know that's not what you want me to do, but just listen to Gary Kasparov on YouTube explain why this has to be taken care of now. The ex-Russian patriot, uh, Russian ex-patriot chess champion. Yeah. Smart guy. Yeah, he's been Gary all over Kasparov. the past week or so talking about it. Yeah. Yep. You can't ignore what he has to say. You might not disagree with it. You might disagree with him, but you can't ignore what he has well, to it's, say. Well, and, and that's the state. You know, anytime you have a valid opinion on it, it's always worth listening to. Um, Absolutely. What, I've, what my issue has been is that, you know, for, for this particular conflict, uh, we have chosen to throw truth kind of aside, kind of gaslight real history, and then just focus on Russia, evil, Ukraine, all good. And the truth is much more murky and disgusting. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not still going to be on Ukraine's side. That doesn't mean that there might still be an argument for uh, conflict in, in Ukraine. And, and, you know, part of that, again, what is the future goals of Putin there? Um, but well, at the same time, you know, at least make that decision based on truth and facts and not hyperbole and gaslighting history. 
I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Um, you, you and I have actually discussed before uh, how this all began with Biden and the bad exit out of Afghanistan. Yep. Uh, and and, and the, the viewing of Biden as a pushover by Putin, mm-hmm. and rightly so. We wouldn't be in this war had we exited cleanly out of Afghanistan and st- stuck with the plan that, that Trump had in play. Well, and, and here's the thing, not just Trump's plan, you know, as yeah. General Milley, as much as I don't like General Milley, right. General Milley went to Biden with a backup plan and Biden blew him off. And so, you know, at, at that point, it's it's like they had no choice. They had to abandon Bagram. They had to abandon that equipment uh, because they weren't going to be given the uh, personnel that they needed to actually conduct the operation the way that they wanted to conduct the operation. As a result, they turned Kabul's security over to the Taliban, a horrendous tactical error. Um, and, yep. and the rest is history. You know, we got 13 dead Americans. We got several, several more that are maimed. We got hundreds of Iraqis who are dead or not Iraqis, excuse yep. me, Afghans were dead. Um, right. and all right. of that could have been prevented with a basic fundamental operation that everybody who's a veteran knows how to run. Yeah. Yeah. No, no it, it, it's a cluster and, uh, yeah. I can't say the rest of the word, but you know what I mean? Well, look, By yeah, the way, I, this is before we get into your next point. I mean, look, weak men make hard times. It really is that simple. And Biden's oh, yeah. weak, and everybody around him is weak. And look at the hard times that we're dealing with right now. Exactly. I couldn't agree more with you on that. Uh, and one of the most interesting things will we'll segue into the, into the convoy, which uh, I, I, I started up with them in St. Robert, Missouri, between Joplin and uh, St. Louis. Okay. And f- followed through to uh, southeast Ohio, Somewhere in the vicinity of old Washington is where I disconnected and had to come back home to southwest Michigan. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the more prevalent things that you saw in that convoy were the initials FJB. You saw it everywhere. <laughs> From the everywhere. pictures that I've seen, they're all over the place. Yeah. Oh, I never had people who had it painted on their foreheads. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, you know, if people thought that the uh, I did that Biden gas pump stickers were a problem before, wait till they start seeing oh, them yeah. now. Holy smokes. Yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable. In in the, in that 3-day period, Casey, when I was with the convoy, which which was an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. Uh amazing in multiple ways, one of which was how much it was ignored by the press. Yeah, they pretended I, it didn't I, exist. I can get irate about that, man. Yeah. I can just get irate about that. Uh, but but in that period of time, I was driving a one-ton diesel dually with a big sign that we made on the back, and we thought it looked really, really good. Um, and we were flying the American flag, the Canadian flag, and the Ukrainian flag. We were the only outfit on the whole thing that I saw flying the Ukrainian flag. Uh, and, 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 our, and our whole point was freedom. It's all about freedom, and yep. it's all interrelated. There are dictators that do worse things than dictators that do less worse things, but dictators are dictators. Right. Trudeau is a dictator. Yep. Biden acts like a dictator. Mm-hmm. Putin certainly is a dictator. Sure. And the interesting thing about all three of those yahoos is they all were elected in a democracy. Happens that way, right? They all want <laughs> It's You know, I, I seem to remember some founding fathers warning us about that. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so even 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 our governor Whitmer, who is a dictator here in Michigan, yep. they're elected. But what they do then is they take and usurp more powers than what the the electorate intends for them to have, and that's the danger. Yeah, and then they prevent the legislature from reining them in. Exactly. 
You know, and, and then you start seeing, especially with Whitmer, you start seeing her send her attorney general after political rivals while using her attorney general to protect her from credible accusations against her. You know, that's that's how that stuff starts, man. And I, for years and years and years, I kept railing on Congress abdicating their authority to the executive because, you yeah. know, any time you had a Democrat president and Democrat Congress, they would abdicate a Republican president, Republican Congress, they would abdicate. And I was like, yeah. you're going to wake up one day and you're going to have a, a president who's going to have unfettered power and there isn't yeah. anything that you're going to be able to do about it. You're going to pitch a fit, but ultimately it was your fault. And we are really seeing that. I, I mean, it's, it's, right. you know, how, how, how many years have we been talking about nothing gets done in the legislature, which is supposed to move slow through the legislature. And that's an uncomfortable truth for a lot of people. But the executive just, ah, I'll just write this executive order and get it done anyway. I don't need you, Congress, anymore. And, and it just keeps happening and happening and happening and happening. And before long, they're just going to be a figurehead. I, I was 60, I'm 65 years old. When I was young, I could hardly ever remember hearing about a, 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 a president just making an executive order. It was No, they were very rare. It, they're limited in what power they can have. And, and yeah. now, I mean, gosh, it's been expanded so much, and I, you know, it's it's unfortunate. But like I said, if we're not on the precipice yet, we are approaching it, and you know, it's some really difficult and tough decisions are going to have to be made in the near future. Oh, yeah. And unfortunately, I don't know that collectively, this nation has the stomach to make those tough decisions because it's been too comfortable and too good here for too long. And as a result, the vast majority of the population, the sot, the 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 latte sipping crowd out there, that you know, they they're just not strong enough to make those decisions. They don't want their comfort disrupted. So that touches on something that I would like to bring up, and that is this: we have a lot of problems. One of them is that we have a volunteer military. The problem with the volunteer military is, Casey, that you have a certain segment of the population who then supports our military adventures and misadventures, whatever they may be, justified or not, throughout the world. And that that minority of America that's patriotic, they're the ones who supply the soldiers. If we had a draft, and I can't believe in a way that I'm saying this, but if we had a draft what what effect that would have on the nation would be across the whole nation rather than just simply a segment of our population. I've never yeah, heard it really phrased as a, a political strategy because I firmly believe that a volunteer force is a more effective force. Um, oh, I agree. I agree with you on that. Regard. But the political but aspect is an interesting think- argument. I have to ponder that for a bit. Yeah, because it comes from just a certain segment of population, and it's now becoming generational. It's an interesting thought. Right? Yeah, I, I mean, I'll I'll ponder it a little bit. I still tend to yeah. lean towards voluntary and, and less necessary, but it's an interesting theory. I, I can ponder yeah. that for a little bit. I get where you're coming from. Hey, I got to run. Yeah. I got a hard break, but I appreciate you calling and, and taking the time and hanging out with us and and uh, for you know letting us know about the trucker convoy and all of that stuff. I really do appreciate that. You bet, Casey. All right, Thank you. You take care. All right, we got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. 
well, remember when uh, Joe Biden was supposed to repair all of our relationships with our allies that were ruined by Trump? Of course, Trump didn't actually ruin any relationships with allies. He improved relationships with many allies, did not make any new enemies, did not start any new wars or anything like that. Um, is this Does this sound like somebody who's repaired relationships with allies when Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates declined to take phone calls from uh, Joe Biden when he called them about oil prices? So Saudi Arabia and the UAE, did just they just didn't take his call. Does that project strength to anybody? Does that sound like he's repairing relationships with allies? When you call your, your allies, your supposed allies, and say, hey, can we do something about these oil prices? And they don't even take your call because they're out, I don't know, hawk hunting or whatever it is. Falcon hunting is falconry. That's right. Falconry, like uh, the prince is known to do. Yeah, that's that's not a good look on the world stage, is it? They all smell weakness. They all smell blood in the water, and they're going to make their moves while they can because they know they've got two and a half years to do it. Got more coming up, 95.3 MNC. Well, for those of you who watched the live stream, I just played my segment from Tucker Carlson on the show today. By the way, Grabian actually reached out to me today. And that was very nice of them because Grabian does the the media stuff for uh, companies like ours and people like me where they will uh, do high definition recordings and transcription and things like that. So that was very nice of them to reach out. I'm always always a big fan of Grabian, always playing their their stuff on the show. Uh, but I, I played my segment on Tucker Carlson last night. It was, uh, you know, honored to be invited back, and hopefully I didn't ruin it the second time. Um, and many of you, I think, probably heard the term fart sniffer for the very first time in your life, uh, unless you listen to this show on a regular basis. But what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> Josh, Josh looks at me. He starts laughing. He goes, you did not. Yeah, I did. Yes, I did. I used the term fart sniffer, and I used it to describe Stephen Colbert. Now, earlier in the show, <laughs> it'll be okay, man. Relax. <laughs> Which, you know, here, here's what's funny, okay? So the fart sniffer thing, it was like right after that, they, they like got out, and I'm like, uh-oh, did I cross the line? <laughs> did I go too far? All of the clips that they uploaded on foxnews.com and on their YouTube channel cut off right before I came on. And I'm like, oh, I think I might have made him mad. Uh, so I, I, I hope not. Now, I will say that the the booker, uh, she reached out to me afterwards, and she liked it. She loved it. And I'm like, hey, uh, in case anybody's, you know, asking, Fart Sniffer is a South Park reference. And she wrote back, like, that with a link to the episode. And she goes, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about, LOL. She thought it was hysterical. So at least one person in that building got it. Now, whether the powers that be or the executives appreciated it, I don't know. Uh, but fart sniffer is perfectly appropriate for cable television. I I, I would hope that I'm not going to be penalized for that. Um, but earlier in the earlier in the segment, you know, he was talking about Stephen Colbert. Cue my audio, please, Josh. So Stephen Colbert said this on his show, and I just I want you to listen to this. I wasn't invited on to talk about Stephen Colbert. But Stephen Colbert said something that tied into the topic with Pete Buttigieg that we're talking about, because I've been pigeonholed is the Pete Buttigieg guy, uh, which is an in, but, you know, I, I do everything else also. 
but it's always it's always nice. So this is this is how the Colbert segment went. And again, it was addressed earlier in the show, not in my segment, but it ties to what I was on to talk about. But it's going to cost. Since the invasion, oil prices have skyrocketed. Today, the average gas price in America hit an all-time record high of over $4 per gallon. Okay, that stings, but a clean conscience is worth a buck or two. I'm willing to pay. Yeah, okay. Clean conscience, huh? It's important. Right. Yeah, it's important. Sure. It's important. I'm For willing idiots. to pay $4 a gallon. Hell, I'll pay $15 a gallon because I drive a Tesla. Okay, so that's Stephen Colbert, right? Now, and here's the thing. A couple of things wrong with it, right? So his, his whole premise was, oh, the price of gas is going up, and we don't want to support Russia and buy Russia. You know what? First, first, I, have we or have we not been saying that from the very beginning, Josh? Makes no sense to be buying Russian oil. Makes no sense. It didn't make sense to buy Russian oil a year ago and a year and a half ago. But Biden is the one who increased, more than doubled, the Russian oil importation and made Russia the number two foreign supplier of oil and products to the United States. Okay? That was Biden's doing. Biden did that. That was not the case under Trump. Period. End of story. It was all Biden. And before Biden had been sworn in, I told you he's going to have Russia favorable policies. And what happened that first week? Russia favorable energy policies. It all benefited Russia. Remember, everything the Democrats accuse the Republicans of doing, they themselves are doing. If the Democrats go out there and tell you Republicans are doing business with Russians, the Democrats are doing business with Russians every single time. So Stephen Colbert, yeah, it's okay to pay $2 more because of a clean conscience. Okay, a lot of people can't afford a clean conscience under your terms, Colbert, but also it's false equivalency. None of it makes any sense. Because we could replace the Russian oil in our market right now. And we're not doing it. Or we could increase our importation of oil from friendly countries like Canada. But we're not doing it. What are we doing instead? We're going to Venezuela. We're going to Iran. In 2020... The Venezuelan oil industry was on the verge of collapse. They declared a national emergency. They blamed us, the imperialist aggressors, for their oil industry collapsing in 2020. And what are we doing? We're sending them a golden parachute right now. Here, Caracas, you're all super poor. Now get rich again and continue to abuse your people. And we're talking about buying oil from Iran? You got Saudi Arabia, the UAE aren't even taking Biden's phone call. Do you realize, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I will, okay? My company does business with companies who have phone calls with Prince Salmon. Now, why is it that we can get phone calls with the Prince of Saudi Arabia? Joe freaking Biden can't. Does that make sense to anybody? Josh, does that make sense to you? That people I do business with are on phone calls with the prince, but Joe Biden can't get a phone call with the prince of Saudi Arabia? That tells you how much clout he has. None. Weak men make tough times. 
You are being led by a weak, weak person. Kamala Harris is going to, I don't know what she's going to do in Poland. She's going to screw something up because she always does. Every time she goes over there, things get worse. Track the timeline. Every time she goes over there, it gets worse. Every time. It's, it's, the, it's bizarre. So Stephen Colbert comes out. And he's like, I'll pay more. The point is you don't have to pay more. That's the point. Okay? After multiple presidencies, Republican and Democrat, the strategic oil reserve was drained. The strategic oil reserve was empty, virtually empty, for its capacity. Okay? Multiple presidents didn't do anything to address it. You know who actually made a play to address it? President Trump. You know when he did it? When oil was negative 30-some-odd dollars. He's like, they're paying you to take oil now. Let's get the oil. Now, obviously, they're not going to physically pay you, but that's what it was trading at. It was so down. Oil was so stupid cheap, it was actually in the negative. So Donald Trump and Republicans put a provision in a bill that would have maxed out the strategic oil reserves. We would have literally filled up all of our strategic oil reserves And we would have never paid less for that oil in all of human history. Virtually giving us that oil and completely filling our strategic reserves. What happened? The Democrats stripped it out of a bill, celebrated stripping it out of a bill, held a press conference about how they were not going to allow Donald Trump to, quote, bail out the oil industry. What do we wish we had now? Wouldn't it be nice if we had a full strategic oil reserve right now? And if we had a full strategic oil reserve right now, if we had done what Donald Trump wanted to do, if we had a full strategic oil reserve right now, we could have cut off the Russians, increased our own production. Let's just say Biden came to his senses after decreasing production. He wanted to ramp it up again, increase production, And we could release oil from our reserves into our own country, not internationally, into our own country to make up that gap until things were running up at full swing in the United States. But we can't do that because they didn't allow the strategic reserve to get filled. The Democrats did that. And all of you idiots who voted for them are responsible for that. Well, it's an environmental issue, Casey. No, it isn't. You blithering idiot. Because it's a heck of a lot more damaging to the environment to get oil shipped all the way across the world from other oil suppliers. Oil suppliers, which are dictators or tyrants or murderers or terrorists. Doesn't it sound what basically you can get oil from two countries that aren't that way. That's Canada and the UK. UK doesn't have the capacity and Biden doesn't want Canadian oil for some reason. Okay, this, this is, it's not environmentally sound policy. It's anti-environmental. It isn't damaging dictators and bullies or whatever you want to call Putin or anybody like him because you're now benefiting all of them instead of getting the oil from a friendly, peaceful nation like Canada or from our own country here in the United States. The most environmentally friendly solution is to get it right here from our own country. That's the most environmentally friendly solution. If you are truly an environmentalist, but I know you're not, you just like to pontificate because you're not very bright. So we had all of this 
on the table, available to us, but the Democrats went to war against that agenda. And then Stephen Colbert, what does Stephen Colbert make, $16 million a year? Oh, I'm, I'm so glad our hero Colbert will sacrifice himself and pay $15 a gallon when he has a $150,000 Tesla. I know that not all Teslas cost one hundred fifty. Okay, I know that. But that's that's wonderful that he'll he'll say, oh yeah. And here's the thing. They call it La La Land for a reason. So this, I don't know if he's in New York or he's in LA. I don't really care. He's stupid either way. Doesn't really matter. He's out there going, I'll pay whatever because I drive a Tesla and it doesn't matter. You know what he just said? You know what he just admitted to? He just admitted he doesn't care about you. You're just a peasant. You're just, you know, a plebe. He's, he doesn't care about you. He's up there in his ivory tower with his little martini glass that he reaches behind his backside with. He squats a little bit. He farts into. And then he swirls it around and he sniffs it and he gets high on his own farts. That's who Stephen Colbert is. So, yeah, I called Stephen Colbert a fart sniffer last night on national television. And I meant every damn word of it. He's not a bright human being. He's witty, but he's not bright. He's not smart. He's not well-versed in any of these things. But more than that, just like any other rich person stuck in their own damn bubble of existence, he doesn't know anything about struggle. Nothing. Imagine going on TV and trying to appeal to a mass audience in the United States of America by going, yeah, I don't care if we pay $15 a gallon in gas. I drive a Tesla. Screw all of you who don't have my car. What a tone-deaf, egotistical, stupid, and petty thing to say. But see, he's a part of the political class. Remember, the political class includes the donor class, the media class, and he's a part of that media class. They're the machine. You're the puppets. They don't care about you. And I ended my segment with Tucker Carlson last night, and I said, it's the political class versus all of us. And I meant it. I say it on this show regularly because it's the damn truth. And some of you still don't get that. Got more coming up. 95.3 MNC. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendricks. I was just telling the live stream, and I'm being shamed by the Army members that are there right now, uh, that if you want to volunteer to fight for Ukraine, there's been like 20,000 foreign fighters that have. A lot of those people are former SF guys from the U.S. and, and Europe, uh, particularly the U.K. But if you wanted to sign up and fight for Ukraine, you get Ukrainian citizenship. Now, of course, you're, you're facing a tough challenge, but if it comes out okay, you can get Ukrainian citizenship if you do it. And I was just saying, I was like, you know, there's a time in my youth where, like, my, one of my sergeants was actually looking at starting a contractor company. That was back before we called them contractors. They weren't really a thing. There's a couple of corporate militaries that existed in the world, but it wasn't nearly as popular as it became after Iraq. 
Um, and they were considering doing that, and and I was considering doing that as well. But ultimately, things just fell through, and I just went about my business and did civilian stuff. But there was a point in time in my 20s where I may very well have done that. And I was just joking, like, I'm too old, too much family right now. And I've got guys who are older than me who are still in the military. Like, I'm packing my ruck to go over. What? What's your problem? Okay, I'm out of shape too, okay? But I, the kids thing still stands. So I'll stay here. If the Russians come here, then we'll deal with it. Uh, on on American soil, but that's unlikely to happen. But in my youth, this might have been something I would have considered. Uh, but for those of you out there who are, you know, in in the state of mind or the place in your lives where this might be an option for you, if you really feel that strongly about it, you can sign up. You can join the Ukrainian military and you can go over there as a foreign fighter in their foreign legion and fight, and they'll give you citizenship. This is a very similar arrangement to what they have in France. Um, and I I... This is a true story. This is not me just mouthing off. This is a true story. It was something I weighed on for a couple of months. Um, I actually sought out a Foreign Legion recruiter. I planned my trip to do it. And the reason I backed out is you can't contact your family for seven years. They can't know where you are. And that was why I didn't do it. Big mistake on my part. Should have totally done it. But (laughs) at the time, I, I was like, I'm not giving up my family for seven years. So I didn't ultimately join the French Foreign Legion, but I came very, very close to, uh, to doing that when I got out of the military. And, you know, it's, um, it's one of my life regrets for, for not, not doing it. Whether I would have made it or not, I don't know, but I was, I was fairly good at what I did. So, you know, this is an option to do something like that. But again, you're, you're the underdog here, and you have to keep that in perspective. Um, and the U.S. just kind of killed this Polish deal for the MiG-29s, which wouldn't have been any help anyway. But it's, uh, it's an option if you're, at, if you're at least looking for it. Now, I was on, uh, somebody did mention, have you seen Ukrainian women? Yes, Ukrainian women are well known for various virtues. Um, so are Russian and Polish women as well. Uh, so I, there's that. I, I mean, I, I assume that the Ukrainian ladies will, will be very appreciative of your efforts. Okay. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I do know a lot of people in the United States. I have, I have many people that I know who actually fight in the Middle East. They fight with the Kurds. And I've told you these stories before. I've given you some of those accounts to follow in the past. Um, and it's less popular and less sexy now, but it's still ongoing. The Kurds are still engaged in open warfare everywhere. And a lot of Americans go over, and some of them are not military veterans at all. They're just, you know, people who go over there. They have to self-fund their own trip. Uh, the Ukrainians are providing some equipment. And, you know, when you go and you enlist with the Kurds and you're fighting with the Kurds, you do like three to six month stints. And then you come home and you just, you fundraise. So they basically use, you know, like Venmo and, and things like that to fundraise for their own equipment. And then they go. Um, but it's a very, very, very interesting lifestyle when you watch that so there's a lot of americans who kind of do this all over the world not as a part of a contracting company or something like that just as individuals so um that could be an option for anybody out there who may be considering doing it you know i I can tell you that there are people who do this in in curd territories and this is how they get their gear and any any necessities that they would need when they're off there and they just they raise that money that way and they can purchase that equipment privately and, and be better equipped than the average person would be over there if that's something you're interested in all right uh, i will tell you you know why i was on tucker carlson last night it was basically talking about pete Buttigieg's stupid statement on electric cars and 
This led to some questions that people sent me about electric cars in cold weather. So I'm going to address that coming up. 95.3 MNC, MNC News Time, 532. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that will last a lifetime. Well, I don't think that I'm going to have enough time today. I think I teased it on the live stream, but Michael Yawn went longer than I thought. Some other things went a little bit haywire, as they usually do. You know, Russia is not just replacing Visa and MasterCard with, you know, banks with China and everything else, but Russia's getting basic. They're pulling out of the Western Internet. And... They're basically pulling everything of theirs, all of their businesses, all of their government website, all of their social social media and everything. They're pulling it off of the internet that the West can access. So they're pulling to China is what they're doing. And that is going to harm the Russians, help Putin, and harm us. So, you know, keep an eye on that. Um, yesterday, I mentioned that, look, electric cars are, are not overly practical. For a lot of Americans, particularly rural farmers and things of that nature. And I mentioned the cold weather and snow and stuff like that. Yeah, electric vehicles can handle in light snow, folks. Yeah, I get that. Um, but they don't work very good in snowy conditions in general because snowy conditions are cold. And electric vehicles do not do well in cold. They don't do well in extreme heat. They do, don't do well in cold. Uh, AAA did a study on this last year. And they found that the range of electric car batteries was reduced by over 40% in cold weather. So you've already got range that is limited. And now you're going to reduce it by 40%. And where are you going to charge it when you go to most places? And by the way, your electrical grid in the United States of America, which already has rolling brownouts in a bunch of states, cannot handle everybody having an electric car. The infrastructure to handle electric cars doesn't exist. It's also not going to be cheaper. I did the math problem today on Facebook and, and Telegram if you're interested. Look, if you buy a Ford Mach-E at the current rates and I gave you good interest rates and low payments, you will pay a lot more per year owning that car than you would if gasoline were more expensive than it is now. You're not going to save money by getting an electric vehicle. And that didn't include the insurance and the registration and all of that other stuff, battery replacement and everything. You're not going to save money. It's not an option. When Pete Buttigieg goes out there and tells you that, um, he's either lying to you or he's really bad at math. And, and frankly, the former is the more likely scenario. But the average person is like, I don't want to pay $5 a gallon of gas. So I'm just going to go get a $55,000 car and pay a lot more than $5 per gallon in my average cost per month per year. It's, it's not good. And it's not great for cold weather, guys. That's just a reality. It, you know, it, our electric cars are fine. Most I've told you before, I wouldn't mind having a Tesla or an electric motorcycle. I really wouldn't. But I don't live out in the sticks. I don't need to worry about that. But for those of you who do, this is a problem. And your electric grid can't handle it. So the only way that you're going to get mass conversion to electric vehicles is if you start embracing and building nuclear power plants all over the country. Because you don't have any other capacity to handle that. We got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel.
All right. It's been an interesting show. It's been a kind of a fun show, a bit discombobulated, I will say. I'm a little tired. I, I'm, you know, sorry about that. It's been busy. Um, but there's still so much that we can discuss. And, you know, there's a reason we got the two shows. So definitely tune in tomorrow. And uh, here's Bill O'Reilly. Have a wonderful night.